0: You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series. You've already heard it tonight called Parables. Somebody say parables. parables. We're talking about Parables, and if you've been in church for longer than a month, which is that everybody in here? You've been in church longer than a month? Most of us, okay. Well, if that's you, then you have probably heard of this word before, right? Parable. Now, what is a parable? Well, a parable is a teaching technique. It's something that Jesus used when he was talking to people, crowds of people, his disciples, and it's a teaching technique where you use storytelling to talk about a principle or a truth, but you you do it in a way that connects with the audience with common knowledge. So what is a parable? A parable is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. It, It literally means this, to throw alongside or to place side by side. To throw alongside or to place side by side. So what is it? It's the act of taking a truth that you want your audience to know, and then you throw it alongside something that makes sense to them, something that relates to the people that are hearing your message. So in this series, man, we're going to be taking a really deep dive into the stories that Jesus told. And why are we doing this? Well, have you ever read a parable before and been like, huh? Yeah, Yeah, I have too. And there's a reason why. Check this out. Uh, This is one of, this is really my main burden, my main heart for this series is this that we would understand this. Parables are not simply teachings on what the kingdom of God is like. Parables are not just a teaching about what the kingdom of God is like, they are an invitation into kingdom living. Yeah. So what I mean by that is Jesus didn't share parables to be like, "Hey, these are some facts about the kingdom of God." No, Jesus is saying, "Hey, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Come and live it with me." Does that make sense? Yeah. They're an invitation for kingdom living. So in this series, like I said, we're going to be going deep into studying and digging out the meaning of these parables. And so you're going to hear me reference a book that I've been reading that's going to help us do this. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And it's a book that I'm reading. Molly says it's good. And that's right. It is good. I've got two quotes from this book about parables that I want to give to you before we even get into the parable tonight. Sound good? Y'all hanging in with me? Okay. First quote from this book is this, and it's really good. Look at this. It says, We know that God is spirit, and neither male nor female. Yet, in the scriptures, we're told that the believer is born of God. Here, John uses female language to describe the relationship between God and believers. Does that make sense? Okay, let's continue. Similarly, when Jesus addressed God as Father... He used a male metaphor or title to help us understand um, the, the nature of God. Scripture uses male and female language and images to enrich our understanding of God, who is spirit and thereby beyond male and female. Okay, so what is he trying to say? He's trying to say, we can't understand God perfectly with our earthly brain. So what is the Bible doing? What did Jesus do? Well, they used terms that we understand not to tell us facts about God, but to tell us how we relate to God. So that's why Jesus said, Father, right? Because yeah. we can relate to that, right? Yeah. We know what a father is for the most part. That's why Jesus used that language. So this is why he used parables. Not to tell us facts about the kingdom of God, but to tell us, hey, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. I got one more quote for you before we get into this parable. It says this, the metaphor does more than explain meaning. It creates meaning. A parable is an extended metaphor, and as such, not a delivery system for an idea, but a house in which the reader and listener is invited to live in, to take up residence. So parables aren't just like a delivery boat with facts about the kingdom of God. No, it's a house that you're invited to live in. You're invited to take part in the parable and place yourself in the story. When we read parables, we're supposed to find ourselves in the parable. Yeah. Does that make sense? So tonight, we're going to be looking at a specific parable. It's called the parable of the pounds. Somebody say the pounds. pounds. Parable of the pounds. You might be thinking of another parable called the parable of the talents. You ever heard of the parable of the talents? Yeah. Well, I want to, I want, I'm about to blow your mind. There's actually, these are actually separate parables. I don't know if you knew that, but there's a parable in Matthew 25 called the parable of the talents, and it's really similar to the parable we're going to be reading tonight. But as we dig in, I want to show you that, man, there's some details in here that changed the meaning completely for us today, and I'm so excited to share it with you. You guys ready for this? Okay. We're going to read the parable of the pounds. We're going to read the whole thing. So what does that mean this passage is? It's chunky. It's It's extra chunky. So follow along with me. Um, but this is a story, so I think you can picture this with me. it's so good. So check this out. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct their impression that the kingdom of God would come right away. So he 's about to tell them a parable. Here he goes. He said, "A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return." Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest for me while I'm gone. So you got this guy, he's leaving to become king, and he's got 10 servants, and he gathers all of his servants, and he gives them each one pound of 10 pounds of silver, and he says, hey, do business with this. Does that make sense? Okay, let's continue. What does he say? But his people hated him, So there's people in this kingdom that do not want this guy to become king. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, so sucks for them, he became king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, master, I've invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Does this sound familiar? Kind of sounds like the parable of the talents. Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You have been faithful with little. I entrusted you. So now uh, you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant, somebody said, uh oh. But the third servant, what happened? The third servant brought back only the original amount wah, 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 and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. If you got a physical Bible, highlight that. If you got a Bible, if you're on your YouVersion app, highlight that verse right there. Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant. Whoa, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest. Y'all hanging in with me? Y'all hanging in with me? We're almost done. Look at this. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute. Whoa. Okay. Execute them right there in front of me. Okay. Wow. What did we just read? Okay. We just read the parable of the pounds, and we're gonna be digging into this parable tonight. Um, I'm just ready. Are y'all ready? Okay, if you're taking notes tonight, there's no, no fancy title of this message. It's just parable of the pounds. Boring, boring title. You can write that on your notes, parable of the pounds. Before we get into this word, though, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit in to speak to us tonight. Father God, we thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. I thank you so much for this New Song Students family, God, that you have blessed me with and that you have blessed every single person sitting in these chairs tonight. And I thank you that every time we come in here, God, we believe this in our core is an opportunity for you to speak to us. The God of the universe wants to talk to us. And so God, right now, we open up our hearts, we open up our minds. I pray that every single person who's here, who's hungry, who wants to hear your voice, God, that they would hear your voice. I pray that you would show us what this parable means for us today and how we can live in this parable and not just read it and observe it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so check this out. When Jesus told parables. When he told a parable, he was communicating something. He was communicating an eternal truth inside of a a message that made sense to ancient people. Eternal truth to ancient people. In other words, the meaning of the parable is eternal. So what does that mean? It means it's never going to change. It's always the same. It means what it means for us, just as as much as it meant for the people hearing it when it first was spoken, right? It's eternal, but the way that we live today is way different than the people who were hearing this parable for the first time ever. Does that make sense? It was way different. When Jesus told parables, he used common imagery and common language that made sense to the people he was talking to. And by the way, they were ancient, they were 2,000 years ago when they lived. So he used things that made sense to them, like farming and fishing and baking loaves of bread and wedding banquets and kings and queens and stuff like that that made sense to them. If um, uh, Jesus told parables in, with an ancient audience, and what that means for us is if we want to understand the meaning of that eternal meaning that's in the parable. We've got to do some work to start thinking like the people he was talking to. Uh, In order to uh, understand a parable, we have to know what those people were thinking and what their life was like. We have to do some work on the back end to unlock the meaning of the parable. If you try to, at face value, just one read, no, no studying, no digging, no anything. If you try to understand a parable at face value as a modern day teenager with an Instagram account, And homework when you get home tonight from students, uh, which is all of us in this room, right? Uh, If you try to understand a parable from that lens without doing any work, I'm telling you, you're always going to walk away from a parable going, huh? What does that mean? You're going to miss the meaning. um, Because guess what? We live completely different than the people of that day. So we talk about this all the time, but context is so important when reading Scripture. And tonight, I want to let you guys know context unlocks meaning. Context unlocks meaning. When you don't have the context for something, then you don't understand the real meaning of it. And if you don't understand the real meaning of it, it's impossible for you to experience it, right? And we want to experience these parables. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a Marvel movie, but you've missed a couple movies. Have you ever done that before? Like if you go, you've gone to see a Marvel movie, but you, you haven't seen a couple of them, but you're like, "Ah oh, I'll be good. Yeah. And then you watch it and you're like, who? What? multiverse what in the world is happening here come on has anybody ever seen a marvel movie and you've missed a couple what nothing that you're seeing makes any sense right because context unlocks meaning context is key you know for me if you uh, are like this if you're a person who's patient enough to sit for the entire credits to watch that 30 second snippet after the movie who who is that person you guys are crazy you people are crazy When I would go see Marvel movies with my little brother, Josh, my little brother, Josh, loves Marvel. And I like Marvel now, but at the time, I didn't really care. So we would go see Marvel movies at the movie theater. And when the movie ended, I would, like a normal person, pack my bags, get my things. That was a great movie. Let's go. And my brother would be looking at me offended. He'd be like, are you kidding me? We have to stay for the end credit scene, right? And so then you do the 15-minute long wait, You wait past the endless screen of names that you're never going to remember to get 30 seconds of just pure contextual genius, right? Now, how many of you have ever seen an end credit scene and left going, yeah, I have no idea what that means? Yeah, Yeah, I've done that before. In fact, I remember one time watching an end credit scene and getting up and being like, okay, that didn't make any sense. And my brother is like, and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know, what's the, what's the big idea? And He's like, do you know what that means? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he would tell me, oh, like it ties into this comic and this backstory and this multiverse. And like, you guys understand what I'm saying? Context is, is so key. It unlocks meaning. And, and this is why context is key. Unlo- understanding the context of a parable is what unlocks the meaning behind the parable, which then unlocks that mind-blowing, oh, I get it. Which, who would want to experience that when reading God's word? Man, I want you guys to have that experience when reading God's word. That's my prayer, that at the end of this series, man, you fall way more in love with God's word than you do right now. I believe that can happen. But in order to do that, we have to learn how to do some work. we got to do some digging, and we've got to learn context, how the people lived in that day. So um, when looking at this parable, the parable of the pounds specifically, Um, If we don't take the time to dig, to get into the context, to figure out um, what the people were thinking when they heard this, I think it's easy to make some face value assumptions that keep us from understanding the meaning. Y'all want to know some assumptions? Okay, first assumption that I think we can make uh, about this parable specifically is that it's the same parable as the parable of the talents. Because if you've heard the parable of the talents, it sounds almost exactly like this parable, right? Right? But they're actually different. These parables are different. And um, if we assume that they're the same, then we automatically aren't going to do any more digging. But check this out. There are some similarities to both of these parables. Both of these parables, the parable of the talents and the parable of the pounds, they both have to do with some sort of leader, some person in authority, who is entrusting people under them with gifts or money or stuff, right? Both parables the leader in this story goes somewhere, goes on a journey, and then comes back. In both parables, uh, we see some some were able to do something with what was given to them, and they multiplied it, and then their master came back and rewarded them with more, and others didn't do anything. And check this out, in both parables, the person who did nothing got the thing that was taken away from them and given to the person who pleased their master. Does that make sense? So those are all things that were similar in the stories, but if we make this mistake of assuming that they're the same, then we're not going to do any digging to find out why they're different. And there's actually some differences. You all want to know the differences between the two parables? Yeah. Okay, check this out. The parable of the talents consists of two groups of people. You've got just a master and his three servants. But what we read tonight, the parable of the pounds actually consists of three subjects. We've got the nobleman who's going to be king. We've got 10 servants instead of three, and they each get the same amount of things. And then we've got the nobleman's enemies, these people who don't want this guy to become king. So while both stories are very similar, there are some differences that if we dig into them, which we're going to in just a second, unlocks a totally different meaning for us. Pretty cool. Y'all want to see what that is? So check this out. Um, when we're, when we're, if we don't assume, or if we don't, if we assume that these are the same parables, we can kind of come away thinking that Jesus forgot how to teach the parable of the talents. Like when Jesus was teaching the parable of the pounds, he just got some details mixed up and messed up and was like, there once was a master and he had three, ser- wait, no, was it ten servants or three servants? Ah, oh, it was ten servants. And they had ten pounds, no, was it three? No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing when he was doing these differences between, between the two parables. And if we're not careful, we can walk away thinking they're the same. That's the first assumption. The second assumption is we can make a face value interpretation of this. We can say, oh, this story is just about being responsible. Wow. We can walk away and just think, Jesus is just telling me I need to take care of the things that I've been given. The second assumption is this, that these two parables, if you're taking notes, write this down, are all about being responsible with what I have. Now, that is definitely something that God's word teaches us, right? Like, obviously, that's a truth from God's word. We are definitely called to be responsible with what God's called us to be responsible with. And you better believe, if you, if you steward what God's given you, yeah, he's going to bless you. He's gonna bless you. He's gonna entrust you with more because he sees he can trust you with that thing. That's not, that's not a bad message to take from the parable, but that's actually not what Jesus is trying to get to us in this parable. He's not trying to teach us that we need to be good stewards in this parable of the pounds. There's something different. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Y'all wanna go a little deeper? Okay, so when Jesus shares this parable of the pounds, uh, everything about the details of the story would have related to things happening In their world, so when they heard of a nobleman and servants, you know that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We don't really hear about noblemen or servants, but to them, it would have made them think of something specific. In fact, check this out. Uh, For them, they would have thought of this exact historical and political event. Look at this. Through uh, Jesus, through Middle Eastern eyes, says this: Herod the Great made a trip to Rome in 40 BC. So that's before Jesus seeking a Roman appointment as king. And his son, Arculus, made a similar journey in 4 BC to argue his case against his half-brother Antipas. So look at this. Jesus used a political scene familiar to his audience as the background for his parable. So when he says a nobleman and a servant, all of the people listening thought of this. They thought of King Herod going to Rome to become king. Does that make sense? So Jesus explains that there's this nobleman. um, And, you know, you know, if Jesus were to share a parable for us today, he would use language and imagery that would make us think of things, right? He would use, I don't know, words like pandemics and quarantine, right? And masks, because those are things that that would strike up images in your brain, right? Because that's really recent historical stuff that we've experienced. So if Jesus were to come and a modern parable today, he would have used that kind of language, but he used a nobleman and a servant because when they heard that, this is what they thought of. Yeah. So check this out. There's this nobleman who's going on a trip to become king. And the group of people, um, there's a group of people that don't want this nobleman to become king. They're his enemies. And then we've got the 10 servants who are each given a single pound. They're given the same thing and they're expected to do something with it. So let's Let's figure out who these people represent, who Jesus is talking to. Jesus, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the nobleman. Jesus is the nobleman. Why is Jesus painting this picture of himself as a nobleman to his audience? Well, it's because they actually thought Jesus came to take over Rome and be king right now. But that wasn't his plan. Jesus is letting them know prophetically, hey, I'm actually going to leave. I'm departing. But check this out. I'm letting this. I'm sharing you sharing this parable with you to know. Even though I'm departing, you can already live as if I'm king, yeah. because guess what? When I come back, I'm gonna be crowned king. Yeah. New song yeah. students. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is really coming back, yeah. like physically coming back one day. And when he comes back, he's coming back like this nobleman. Yeah. He's king. He's king of kings. Look at this. Revelation seventeen fourteen says these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb of God will overcome because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Look at this, Revelation 19, 16 says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. That's right, you read that right. Jesus has a thigh tattoo. On his thigh is written, king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is king, y'all. Jesus is king. John 18, 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, talking to Jesus, so are you king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. What do we learn from this detail? Jesus is king. Look to your neighbor say, Jesus is, Jesus is king. And he's really coming back, and when he really comes back like this nobleman, he's gonna have a crown. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. So who is the next group of people? Who is this enemy? Well, write this down. Worldly culture is the enemy of the nobleman. That's who the the enemies of the nobleman represent worldly culture. Look at this John 1:10 says, he came into this very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. So who are the enemies of the nobleman in this parable? It's people who don't want to live their lives as if Jesus is actually king. It's people who want to live in this world who don't think Jesus is king, don't want Jesus to be king, don't want to submit to Jesus as king. That's who the enemies are. Check this out. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus says this, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Okay, so who's the next group of people? We've got the servants. Who are the servants? Christians are the servants. Believers, you and me, Christians are the servants. Look at this, Psalm 116. This is all throughout the Bible, this language of servant. Oh Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. So all of this kind of makes sense so far, right? Jesus is the nobleman. That makes sense. Um. The enemy of, of the nobleman uh, represents our fallen world and people who don't want to submit to Jesus as king. Yeah, that makes sense. Servants are Christians. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm hanging in with you, Jackson. That all makes sense. Uh, but this is where we get to the part of the parable that changes everything. Are you ready for this, y'all? Yes. I don't think you're ready for this. In this, parable, in this parable, well, actually, I want to go to the parable of the talents for a second. Remember, we, we compared the two. They're similar. In the parable of the talents, There are three servants, um, and they're each entrusted with different gifts. Somebody say different gifts. gifts. They're each given different gifts. And in the same way, what does that speak to us? Well, all of us are given different gifts. All of us are given different responsibilities from God. We're given different things to be called to. You know, for me, I'm called to be the husband of Haley Wilson. Anybody else called to be the husband of Haley Wilson? Heck no. I am called, I'm called to be the dad of Marlo. I am I'm called to be the son of John Wilson. I'm called to be the student pastor at New Song Church. You aren't called to any of those things. But I'm, not, I'm also not called to be who you're called to be. I'm not called to be in your family. I'm not called to have your job or, or to be in your school or to have your group of friends. That's your calling. Does that make sense? So the parable of the talents is talking about your specific gifts, your specific responsibilities, the things God's called you to, and will you, will you steward them? Will you take those things and will you glorify God through them? Will you worship God through them? That's what the parable of the talents is talking about. That's why the master gave them different gifts because we all have different things that we're called to. And yeah, if I, if I steward them and if you were steward them, God's gonna bless you. He's gonna entrust you with more. That's a, that's a fact, But there's a small detail that changes everything for the parable of the pounds. And it's this. The the ten servants, they didn't get different amounts. They all got the same amount. They all got the same amount from the nobleman and New Song students. This changes everything. Because think about this. They represent Christians. So this parable is not about Christians saying, you do what you're called to do, and I'll do what I'm called to do. No, this parable is about what we're all called to do. Does that make sense? So check this out. This parable isn't about the things you're called to do and I'm called to do. The, the pounds represent, take, if you're taking notes, write this down. The pounds represent the Great Commission. The pounds represent the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Well, before Jesus left the disciples and, and ascended into heaven, he gave them a mission, a commission and it's a mission that is still going on today. He said go. Somebody said go. go. He said go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Take this thing that I've given you, this gift and go invest it. Go make more of you. Go invest it into people, make more disciples. And this is not something that you're called to if you're a pastor. This isn't something that you're called to if you're an extrovert or you're just a people person. No, check this out. If you're a Christian, this is your pound. This is your calling. You're called to make disciples, make more disciples. I want to read you, and we can get some music as we get ready to close. Uh, here's a quote from Jesus through the, middle, uh, through the eyes of Middle Eastern eyes. This quote is going to unlock everything for us. It's a little chunky, but can you guys hang in with me? Check this out. Such is the real world of this parable. King Herod's trip to Rome was successful. He received kingly power. His son, Arculus, made the same trip and was banished. No one knows such a perilous trip, how the journey will end. The nobleman wants to know, this is so crucial, listen to this. The nobleman wants to know, are you willing to take the risk and openly declare yourselves to be my loyal servants during my absence in a world where many oppose my rule? It will be easy for you to declare yourself publicly as loyal to me when I return. I am more interested in how you will conduct yourselves when I'm gone. Wow. And, you have, and, you have, and you have to pay a high price to openly identify yourself with me. So here's the kicker. Here's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand through this parable. Do people know which king you're loyal to? In your life, in your school, in your friend group, do people know publicly which king you're loyal to? If people that you're surrounded by were to find out that you're an active Christian, if they were to find out that you love Jesus, would they be surprised? Because if they would, that's the issue Jesus is trying to get us to see. If somebody would be surprised that you're a Christian, that's a problem. Look at this, Charles Spurgeon says this, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians. Jesus is not in the business of creating safe, secret Christians. You know, when I was in high school, New Song students, I was submitted to Jesus, but at the same time, I wanted to be the relatable kid. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be liked. I didn't want to be weird to people, I didn't want to seem different. And what that led me to become was a secret Christian. I would compartmentalize my faith. I would leave my faith at the door when I left church on Sunday or on Wednesday. I, you know, if you saw me at church, I'd be the one lifting my hands in the front of service. But when I left the door, I'd leave that at the door of the church. And for a while, I actually took pride in that. I was like, man, I'm, I'm the cool Christian. Like, I can relate to people. But here's the thing. Nobody knew I was a Christian. And I wasn't making any disciples. I wasn't making any disciples. And I wasn't even trying to make disciples. In fact, my senior year of high school, this is actually kind of funny. I was talking with somebody that I had known for years. We were just acquaintances, we weren't really friends. They'd known me for a long time in school. And when they found out that I went to youth group every week and was a Christian and loved Jesus, they were shocked. And they said, Oh, I thought you were the school pothead. (laughs) That is not good. They're like, you're just so chill and you skateboard and I just thought you were this. Okay, that is a problem if, if my peers have no idea I'm a Christian and think I'm the school pothead. Would you agree with that? Look at this. Look at this. New Song students. This is what the third servant said to the master. He said, master, I hid your money and kept it safe. This is the response of the third servant. And this is what Jesus is inviting us out of. A safe in secret Christianity that just goes with the flow that doesn't, doesn't push anybody, doesn't say anything, doesn't start a conversation it's a safe Christianity and this is what Jesus is talking about in the parable, he's not saying hey in this parable he's not saying hey you need to take care of what you're responsible for, no he's saying will you, re, will you submit to me as king when nobody else will, will you submit to me as king when all of your friends and the people around you aren't This is what Jesus wants to know. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. Jesus is inviting us to go public. New Song students tonight, Jesus is inviting you to go public. If somebody in your school were to find out the Christian that you are, would they be surprised if that's you? Man, something's gotta change. Something's gotta change in us. And this doesn't mean you need to go stand in the parking lot of your school and just start yelling at people, repent or perish. That's not, (laughs) turn or burn. That's not what this is about. And this doesn't mean that you need to drop everything and become a pastor one day. That's not what this means. It just means when the opportunity comes, you need to make the investment. Just like the servants who did something, when the conversation arises and you have the opportunity to talk about your faith, you gotta do it. You've gotta invest it. But check this out. This is something that I wanna encourage you with. And this is my last point as we get ready to close. Jesus is more concerned with your effort than your success. Jesus is more concerned with your effort than your success. After rewarding the servant who multiplied what he was given with 10 times the amount, the nobleman didn't look to the second servant who did half that and go, dude, you couldn't do what he did? Come on, dude. You need to step up your business game. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hey, look at this guy. He invested so much more than you. You need to be like that. No, what did he say? He said, well done, my good servant. Here's more. Look, look at, that's what this is, this, that is what this tells me. Jesus is more concerned with you just putting in effort than he is with how much success you actually have. You know what that means? You actually don't need to make your friends and the people around you Christians. You just need to try to be public about your faith. You don't, Jesus isn't gonna find you in heaven and say, how many, people, how many disciples did you make? That's not what he's going to do. He's going to see your effort. Yeah. Did you put in effort? Yeah. When you had the chance, did you take it? Does this make sense, New Song students? I want to invite you to buy your heads.